0: It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football.
1: And here on first down a goal from the one, is Lavelle Coppedge in, untouched for the touchdown. Now, maybe the easiest touchdown Lavelle Coppedge has ever scored. Burke looking to throw, looking in the end zone, looking for Denton, and he's got him for the touchdown.
0: Each week, those who know Division Three football break down the weekend. There are several teams that seem to have established themselves as elite, and as we get into this postseason, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty exciting to watch. Which ones emerge? I don't. I don't think we can say. Okay, these two teams are, should definitely meet in the Stag Bowl, or these four teams should definitely meet in the Final Four. I think it's going to be, um, you know, pretty exciting five weeks of playoffs. From the record breakers. Well, Pat, he's been a guy who's averaged eight yards a carry all season. He's been a big play guy, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you, you know it's not the first time that we've had occasion to mention Western Connecticut, Connecticut State or Octavius McCoy. It's actually his third. C- consecutive five touchdown game
1: to the surprises on the field one just out of the blue makes me go what the hell was that Wartburg. wow congratulations that's a heck of a way to get into the second round to the surprises off the field for the first time in a few years not surprised maybe pleasantly surprised that uh, all eight at large teams that we projected actually got in it it seems to me like the ncaa actually followed their own rules correctly you even hear from those on the sidelines. You no, know, we had no idea what the record set. I knew he was probably over 400. You know, just by coincidence, we were up two scores late, and uh, you know he, he had a carry to the sideline. And I'm like, let's get him out of here. We don't want to get him hurt for next week.
0: There is only one place to turn to—the only show that covers the entire Division III football nation, D3Football.com's Around the Nation podcast. I don't think you, you can argue it now, Pat.
1: You have two dominant teams at the top of Division III. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. I got nervous this week, Keith. I I saw week seven come up for this week's uh, week on the schedule, and I just kind of had this little panic attack because all of a sudden we are very close, seemingly, to Selection Sunday where it just seems like it was, you know, July 15th, just a, a couple of weeks ago. And, and now here we are uh, down to, well, down to 22 unbeaten. Obviously, that's still a lot uh, of uh, teams that are unbeaten, and we may have more than one at the end of the season. Thank you, NESCAC. But um, we are. Uh, we had a, a week this week in which uh, some of the teams who were unbeaten and unranked lost, and it was uh, teams ranked in our poll that took them out. And uh, we had, you know, some, some of the conferences that we had hoped we would get some... Uh, uh, some of that infamous clarity out of we actually got some,
0: yeah. And and you know this deep in the season, you need to get it. You need to get um, start figuring out what's who's really real. And that was sort of the theme of the the uh, triple take this week. And uh, we got it. I I thought you know you probably saw the the best game of the week or one of the best games of the week, uh, Gustavus and, and and St. John's. Um, that was the maybe the the closest of the games where. We had a, a, a unbeaten, unranked team taking on a an a, a ranked team. And uh, but all the ranked teams prevailed. Uh Hampton Sydney beat Emory and Henry, Bethel beat Chicago. Um, the St. John's Gustavus game we mentioned, and then uh, and then Wisconsin Platteville beat Stevens Point. Also, uh, you know, far away from the rankings, the the NESCAC you mentioned, Wesleyan uh, fell from the uh, the ranks of the unbeaten, uh, losing Amherst 33-30 in overtime. So yeah, now we're down to 22 unbeaten teams, which sounds like a lot, but you start with 244, and we're actually down. To, there's only there are 10 conferences that don't have anybody. Who's unbeaten at this point, including the the Mayak, the Empire, and the NJAC, or uh, maybe three conferences who, who you'd expect to uh, to have one power team, and instead those those three conferences are all bunched up, and then uh, and then there were, I think we're down to four conferences now where there's two unbeaten teams at the top of the race. Now there's there's handfuls of teams um, who are unbeaten in conference play, so I'm just speaking about. Uh, unbeaten teams overall, but you got a lot of showdowns coming up, and not all of them will be solved right away. We have a couple of them uh, we're waiting for, week 11, to see it happen. Uh,
1: one of those just might take place in the state of Ohio. Uh, the game that uh, you were mentioning that I was at on Saturday, uh, Gustavus Adolphus uh, fell to St. John's 29-19, and a game sh- which really kind of turned. On a uh, a couple of things. One is that uh, Mitch Hendricks, the Gustavus quarterback, who we've talked about on the podcast before, and you've seen him on the front page of the website. He started off really well. Uh, was uh, was was finding his guys. Uh, wasn't getting pressured at all. He had all sorts of time to throw. Um, and uh, Johnny's were bun- dropping a bunch of guys back into coverage, uh, and they did a great job. I wouldn't even say between the twenties. I'd say even between the tens. But uh, Gustavus. You know, they scored on their first drive, they scored a touchdown, uh, and then they missed a field goal, and they had to settle for a field goal on a later drive, and they settled for a field goal again, and they were only up 13-7 at the half. And St. John's came out in the second half, and it was just a completely different ball game, especially for them offensively. Uh, they uh, really stuck with their bread and butter this year, which is the run game, and especially Sam Sura, who ran for 205 yards and two touchdowns. and. Uh, Gustavus just didn't have an answer for, uh, him or for the option in general. And in the, uh, so in that first quarter, I think St. John's may have actually only run, uh, three offensive plays. They went three and out. Uh, they didn't have the ball very much. I think they got it back with like a buck and a half left in the, uh, quarter. It was the opposite in the third quarter. Gustavus uh, barely had the football at all. And, uh, and Hendricks ended up 31-54. He threw three picks, two of them in the fourth quarter in the end zone. But the way this game really turned, Keith, was uh, with, uh, early in the fourth quarter. Uh, St. John's had just uh, kicked a field goal to go up 20-13. to 13. Gustavus drives 76 yards. Uh, they get the ball in the end zone. Uh, Matt Boyce with a 26-yard touchdown catch uh, to make the score 20 to 19. Gustavus lines up for the extra point. Kick is blocked. Trevor Warner returns it the other way for a defensive two-point conversion and just everything deflated in, uh, at Gustavus. And uh, you know the uh, the Gusties had those two more shots at the end zone that were picked off, but uh, St. John's really had the momentum at that point and uh, kind of took the game away in that 29-19 win.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there was some settling going on in the uh, in the first half. Uh, a couple of the picks you mentioned in the end zone. Those sound like those were were pretty big deals as well. And uh, it sounds like you know from from afar that uh, Gustavus is pretty legit. But right now they're sitting in a conference where you have four or five other really legit teams. St. John's obviously is back. You mentioned them having sort of uh, a different identity that than they've had. In, uh, in in some past years, and so now you got this big clump at the top of the Mayak, and it's starting to sort itself out. But this one's going to take probably the, the the full run through mid November.
1: Yeah, Sir is the first guy to rush for a thousand yards in the regular season for St. John since 1994. Um, if he didn't, I don't think he set the all time rushing single season rushing record today, but he will next week in you know game seven for them. So uh, it's kind of you know obviously the a lot of those great teams were predicated around the pass or Uh, around the option with multiple different guys running the ball. But Sura gives them, obviously, something they haven't had before. And and for for Gustavus, uh, they still have to finish running the gauntlet, right? We talked about them possibly going 6-4 and after that 6-0 and start. So they have St. Thomas left. They have Bethel and they have Concordia. But they also have a bye week to kind of figure things out. The place where they really fell down is when they got in the red zone. uh, You know, they loved to throw the ball and they didn't have – I don't know if they, you know – couldn't run the ball because they just didn't really try. They uh they tried to throw it and uh especially I want to call uh, out one name who uh is Andrew Nori, who has a cornerback had nine tackles, had two of those fourth quarter interceptions, but also back in the uh in the first quarter, he had pass breakups in the end zone on consecutive plays to uh to force Gustavus to settle for a field goal. He had a great day for for the Johnnies on Saturday.
0: Yeah, and stats don't always Tell the whole story for for how a defensive back played, but it sounds like he he racked up some uh, some big stats on Saturday. The nine tackles stands out almost as much as as the pass breakups and almost as much as the interceptions, So that sounds like a a real well rounded game. And uh, there there weren't too many of those in the top twenty five on Saturday.
1: Uh, University of Chicago. I don't think we're too surprised by that, right? I mean, uh, we knew that uh, Chicago had not, was not playing the same kind of level of competition that uh you know that bethel had someone in the gustavus press box asked um you know when i when someone said who's chicago and i said chicago who i said you know the university of chicago i said have they have they played anybody i said well you know i mean they've 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 played a couple of decent teams but it's not a great schedule and they said oh like saint scholastica i said no no not that bad we're we're still talking about a team you know maybe more like um more like a a St. Norbert if they ran the table and that was a context that they seemed to understand. But, um, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not at all surprised that uh, Bethel kind of had their way with them because I I really think that that's a a pretty accurate reflection of where the two teams were ranked, if nothing else.
0: For teams to move up the the D3 football top 25, you have to do it in these big games against, against the the stronger competition and, and, when you really step back and take a look at just how many teams were unbeaten, if we're down to 22 after today, you know, we were almost at 30 coming in on uh, on, on Saturday. The teams that get ranked are the teams that do it in these, you know, the, when you get these opportunities on your schedule, as Chicago did, um, you know, that's when we as voters find out the most about them. And, and, you know, for them, we we realized that they, they kind of are what they, what we thought they were and that the Mayak is what we thought it is, which is one of the best conferences in D3 and that a team, you know, from the Mayak that has a, that has a loss early in the season to Wartburg who we're finding out week to week is, is a very, very good team. Um, you know we're, we're starting to get a little bit of you know it's my favorite word i i got to say it at least once a week right we're starting to get a little bit of clarity and and i think we uh these mid i, I like these games midseason you know that um these big clashes that give us that clarity
1: are 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 we are we uh, adding this to the drinking game is that it clarity
0: you know i was thinking about funny you should mention that cuz i one of my ticks right it's like a or you stall for time naturally i say you know a lot and i as i listen back to the podcast i realize i say that uh, i say sort of a lot and i figured those would be my drinking game things and there you go now you're bringing up a uh, drinking game we would have to drink at what the made-up word what else yes.
1: <laughs> made-up word um yeah Uh, That's a that's a good start. Clarity is certainly one of them. Uh, As we come across more of them, we'll uh, we'll we'll throw them out there. Uh, Pat talking for five minutes straight about a game he was at that sort of thing. Um, Emory and Henry, um, you know, again, I don't know if quite what we thought they were necessarily. I think we knew Hampton-Sydney was uh, was pretty good. And, you know, I mean, Hampton-Sydney's been on this level now for a few years, right? They know how to play in big games. They know how to play in uh, conference championship-type games or big showdown-type games. And for Emory and Henry, first time they've been in one of these in a while. And even the 49-27, the final score is kind of a bit misleading because it was 49-13 in the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, it wasn't really that close in, in- – you know, you expected Hampton Sydney if they played well to uh, to win that game, but they've had these midseason stumbles. There was a game, you know, the, about this time last year where they they played Shenandoah and they led that game uh, pretty late in the game and gave up a couple of touchdowns and end up losing 36-35. So the thing for Hampton Sydney is they have to be able to keep their their foot on the gas pedal, so to speak. And uh, you know, that's a tough place to play. It, it's it. it just has the atmosphere you know, it's built in a bowl and, and they, they kind of have it so, so uh, that, you know, the, you're, you're surrounded on almost three sides um, by fans. And it, it's uh, they, they fill it up. It's third best in, uh, in, in attendance in D3 behind, uh, behind Whitewater and St. John. So it is a real I don't know about an intimidating place to play, um, but, but in the Odak it's one of the it's one of the tougher trips and it gets it gets pretty rowdy, especially
1: when they're putting points on the board. Holton Walker, 10 catches for 275 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, It was was the third best receiving day in ODAC history. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know what the other two are. I think uh, I'd have to look at uh, uh, Guilford players to uh, probably figure that out, if I remember correctly. Uh, Let's see, Platteville over Stevens Point. We kind of alluded to this already, but uh, Platteville jumps out to that 24-0 lead and kind of doesn't look back and, you know, I, I think I'm sure we'll talk more about Stevens Point later, but uh, at the very least we could talk about that little triangle, right? Between Stevens Point, Platteville and North Central, each of whom uh, split against the other two.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the North, the North Central result against uh, Stevens Point was the, the first one where kind of open our eyes to saying, okay, maybe Stevens Point is is better than middle of the road this year. And then, uh, and then of course, um you know, Platteville turned around and, uh, and, and played North Central in that one. And then so, so it kind of gave us this idea coming coming in today that this may be a very good clash. And it really wasn't that at all. I got a chance to peek in for a good portion of that game in, in the uh, third quarter. And uh, Stevens Point is already way down. And they got back into the game kind of very briefly, a uh, long touchdown pass. Got the onside kick, got the ball back, and then uh, I think set up a field goal attempt and missed it. And then, you know, right after that, Platteville took a short out, turned it into a long touchdown, and it was kind of over from there. But you know, Stevens Point was a team where I, I don't know if if I was quite convinced um, coming in. I didn't I didn't have Stevens Point or Platteville very high on the ballot, and, and we kind of needed to see one of these teams really play well against the other to to give us some clarity.
1: And Drink. then. <clears throat> there you go uh, and then the uh, other game uh, that we talked about uh, in which uh, Wesleyan lost to Amherst uh, you know Wesleyan went seven and one last year they beat Amherst at Amherst and, and this year that result turns around a little bit. And Wesleyan also has Trinity of Connecticut uh, again. And for those who are tuning in midseason, and we had, again, another like 7,900 downloads of the podcast last week. So thank you. That's awesome, everybody. Um, But if you don't know, the NESCAC, the New England Small College Athletic Conference, uh, considers itself like the Ivy League, considers itself that way. And their football programs, uh, not only do they not participate in the playoffs, they don't play any non-conference games. So that's often why you might see that. 8-0 team at the end of the season and go, why weren't they in the playoffs? That's why. That's your NESCAC primer for 2014.
0: Yeah, and it makes it tough for us as voters. Uh, Not only do they only, they don't play any non-conference games, but they only play eight games total and they start a couple weeks after everyone else. So it's very tough for us to get a read on who the strong teams are going to be. The other thing is from year to year uh, you know, there was a time, I guess, when when Trinity dominated the conference, and there was a time when uh, Amherst and Williams dominated the conference, um, but f- recently— Middlebury has been up, been up. Wesleyan has been up, and so now it's kind of tough for us to get a read year to year on on who's going to be good. And now with uh, with Amherst squeaking that game out in overtime on Saturday, that that leaves us still with a with a little bit of a triumvirate at the at the top of the conference. Amherst, Trinity, both five and zero. Wesleyan now four and one with a with a three point overtime loss, and uh, they'll they'll play Trinity in the final week of the season. And they have some some baggage from last season that they that they want to get off their back, so to be.
1: kind of a uh and, and, and not particularly interesting week in the top 25 i we uh we um uh, i had a little bit of envy looking at uh following the division two folks on twitter today in which they apparently had just kind of a bloodbath in in the top 15 or so and we just don't ever get that i i know that obviously there are more teams in division three and so you know their top 15 is more like our top 22 or something like that but you know, sometimes, uh, if you're not a, if you're not a fan of one of those, uh, 15 teams, uh, this year, you, you, uh, you're really looking for something more interesting out of them.
0: Yeah. Well, it's definitely a, a ho-hum top 25 week. All the games were, uh, all but two of them were decided by more than 17 points and, uh, just about everybody won. Of course it was, there was the big, uh, upset Pacific over Pacific Lutheran. There was the top 25 clash between Stevens point and, and Platteville, um, but there are weeks where there are really good games in the top 25. Top 25 teams lose. Um, the past two haven't been so good. And, and the, the thing that's crazy to me, I think, is the level of dominance we're seeing from the really good D3 teams right now. I mean, you're watching, you know, not just the Mountain Unions and Whitewaters, you know, and Wesley and, and Mary Harden-Baylor. But you, you, we're going down into like the top 10, top 12 now. where Teams are just crushing every week, whether it's Hobart, Johns Hopkins. Um, going down to Wabash, you know. Uh, John Carroll. I mean, yeah, well, that, that was that was 80 to nothing on Saturday. And, uh, th- you know, that, th- those kind of scores are usually reserved for Mountain Union, not for, for uh, teams that Mountain Union will be playing in a couple of weeks here. A- and uh, I-, I think the, the it's hard to it's hard to believe the distance between teams is getting is, is growing because recent years and in, in, often we see the things coming closer together you know more parity uh, a lot of uh, there's conferences like the ODAC and the MAAC and the and the NJAC where so many teams are are um right around the same level where you, where you think well this is great for D3 football because it, it gives us a lot of intrigue but i i think the 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 real Cut above teams have been such a cut above this year that uh, it, it may bode well for the playoffs, it may give us a good second round, third round, fourth round and not just wait till we get to the, you know, the, the semis and the stag bowl to have our good, really, really good games. Um, but but right now, yeah, you just look at the top. I, I almost I just scroll sometimes right past the top 25 and, and look for the good games because they're down there. You know, there are 200 and some odd teams in action on any given Saturday. So they're great. They're always overtime games and these great finishes. They're all over the place in D3, but but they haven't been in the top 25 the past couple weeks.
1: I'm going to give my game ball this week to Lance Leipold, and uh, I might just have to mail one to Paul Plinski as well. Uh, it's, it seems like a long time ago, but if you remember that Leipold wasn't the popular choice to take over head coach at Whitewater when uh, Bob Berez was retired. And all Leipold has done since then is, uh, let's see, take the team to six stag bowls, winning five of them, 943 winning percentage. And on Saturday, he became the coach that got to one hundred wins faster than anyone else in college football history in his one hundred and sixth game. So, uh, kudos to Leipold. Plinsky was the AD who hired him, uh, and he got a job at a so-called higher level of college athletics. And, it, and maybe Leipold will, at some point, as well. Uh, as and uh, so, top-ranked Whitewater had its way with Eau Claire on Saturday, fifty-two to three. I am going to say this one last thing: one of my uh, one of my editing pet peeves. Maybe you uh, might appreciate this. I really hate when I see he's the fastest coach to 100 wins. Although, I must admit, I haven't seen Lance run a 40 in a a while. I don't know how fast he is necessarily. Uh, I don't know how he stacks up against uh, Fielding, Yost, or anybody else. Well, he is an ex-player, so
0: he he may be kind of fast. I give my game ball. I'm not going to promise to mail it. But uh, I I give my game ball to Keith Smith of Frostburg State. Well-named guy, obviously. Um, We're we're an all-appreciating podcast, right? And so sometimes the game balls go to the obvious characters, the quarterbacks who throw for the most yardage or the most touchdowns, the guys who put up the gaudiest numbers. But sometimes it's, it's the less obvious choice that makes the difference in a game. So, you know, whether it's a Paul Plinski Making the unpopular but ultimately correct decision in hiring, or Key Smith bursting through the Ithaca line in second overtime to block a point after. In this game of inches, so many little things matter. And uh, Smith had 12, 12 tackles in the game, and he was one of four Bobcat defenders in double digits, so he had plenty of help. He didn't, he didn't do it himself. You know, Frostberg had to had to score the winning touchdown and kick its own point after, even after he blocked the kick in the in the second overtime. But I, I think. You know, I could see that middle of the line push in the first overtime and uh, they almost blocked the the point after in the first overtime. And then Ithaca scored again in, in the second overtime. And instead of treating it like a, you know, ho-hum automatic play, Smith and the, and the Frostburg State special teams ultimately won them the game.
1: I was pretty tuned out of that game for almost the entire uh, almost the entire outing. And then, you know, Frostburg scores those 10 points in the fourth quarter to tie it up. Um, and you know there are a bunch of people tweeting about Ithaca games because there's the uh, you know the Ithaca Sports Information folks, and there's the uh, Ithaca broadcasters, Bombers Live. Uh, and so it just, when that happened, it just kind of really popped up on the radar. And that was really an interesting, uh, way that, uh, turned out. Cause you know, we, we talk about, and, and I think we could probably go back and pull a recording from a earlier podcast to talk about the, uh, the structure of the empire eight, all those teams at the top and, and, and also Frostburg, right. Who didn't really seem to, to stack up. And, uh, oh, by the way, on Saturday, they uh, reminded us yet. Yeah, they belong in this conference as well. Yeah, and, and they won't be in it for, for much longer. <laughs> right, for a uh, few more weeks anyway. But
0: yeah, but that's the I think that's the great thing about Saturdays in, in D three, especially if you're say you're rooting for a team that played on Friday night or one that's got a seven o'clock kickoff or you're just home, you know, for whatever reason, not traveling to a, to a noon or one PM game. They're just, you know, Dozens and dozens of games going on at, at at any given time, and so if you're if you're around that three o'clock hour, at least on the East Coast here, um, games start ending. And you start getting those tweets, and, and I think it was you who sent it out on Saturday where it just was like, uh, you know, this is the game to watch currently at the moment. And so you click the link, you know, the, the, uh, the video window comes up, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a team in the fourth quarter or you have a team in overtime. And so I, I didn't, you know, you said you tuned out of that game. I, I didn't watch any of it until overtime, but I watched both the overtimes, and, uh, and it was fun, you know, to, to see them go back and forth because you see Ithaca's just trying to get out of there with a win. And they, they scored so easily. You know, they, Frostburg grinds their way down there to start the first overtime, scores. Ithaca scores easily, like four plays, are in like it was nothing. Then they get the ball back again, they start, they, they score again. The point after is blocked. And then even after the block, which is, you know, what what got us on the game ball, and this is why we're talking about it, you know, Frostburg still has to score and then kick its extra point. Ithaca took a timeout and uh, tried to ice kicker, her. Of course, it didn't work. So, you know, you, you, rare, very rarely... Do you see a game end on a the ho hum point after? But but uh, he kicks the extra point. It was Isaac Robinson, I believe the kicker's name was sophomore. He kicks the extra point, and everybody storms the field. It was
1: cool. Cool day for homecoming at Frostburg State. Uh, my team on the rise. Uh, I think uh, Hampton sydney rises a little in my estimation after this week. I mean, they not only beat Emory and Henry, but they really handled them. And you know, there's not a lot of opportunities for for Hampton sydney There. Well, first of all. For for them to impress uh, a national slate of voters in the, uh, when you're playing an odak schedule, but even so, even beyond that, there just haven't been a lot of opportunities for anybody to climb into the poll because we've done such a great job. I mean, uh, no, I mean all the uh, all the teams that are ranked in the top 25 have uh, you know as, as Keith mentioned, I think only two of the games were uh, fewer than 17 points. Who do you drop out? Right? Who moves down? Uh, that's why we get some of those. Uh, you know, little reversals between, say, uh, Warburg and John Carroll or or something like that in the middle of the poll during a week because there's not a lot else to do, right? So you uh, reevaluate everything. I think Hampton-Sydney's in a position to move up. If uh, if nothing else, um, Pacific Lutheran is going to drop down below them. Obviously, a bunch of teams will pick up points that I think Hampton-Sydney uh, deserves them after this week. Yeah, I,
0: I think you're right, Pat, that teams not only haven't been losing, but they haven't been giving you the the uh very close wins that we've been seeing where you where you start to reevaluate you're like this team hadn't been upset yet but you know if they keep playing like that we're gonna eventually see it happen there were there were a couple teams earlier in the year where they get they had some questionable games Wheaton we mentioned Platteville we mentioned and uh, you know both those teams clearly rectified that since then but um yeah you, you're just not seeing a whole whole ton of movement and uh I had Hampton Sydney I had them right outside the top 25. Personally, uh, going back to the Wabash game in Week One, and uh, you're right, they they haven't had a ton of of opportunities I think to impress, but they were very impressive on Saturday, so I agree with you on that one. I think uh, I like W and J to move up a little bit. They they handled Bethany. You know, Bethany had won five straight since losing to Mount Union back in Week One, and I think I mentioned this earlier. I had Platteville and Stevens Point in the twenties. And, uh, I, you know, I got I got a chance to watch a bit of that game. And there was there was clear separation between the two. I think Stevens point probably drop out and move and up.
1: My team taking a fall. Uh, I'm reevaluating. Actually, I'm I'm doubly reevaluating uh, Johns Hopkins and Hobart. Both of them have now played Dickinson. Um, you know, I, I just took the very cursory glance at the scores. And I said, oh, yeah, wow. Hobart only beat Dickinson the 33-21. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute. That's not the way I want voters to vote, and it's certainly not the way I should vote. So I dug back into that Hobart Dickinson game, which of course is now, you know, six weeks ago. Um, and it was, you know, it was a 33-21 game, but it was 33-7 in the fourth quarter, and Dickinson got a couple of late touchdowns to make it close. So in my mind, that 33-7 and the 42-7 are pretty similar. Um, and, and Johns Hopkins and Hobart have similar histories of late. You know, they run through non-power conferences and they get matched up with hard-nosed teams early in the playoffs and and, and uh they lose. You know, um, I'm talking about last year, guys, not, you know, two years ago. Take it easy, Hobart fans. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, both of those teams have just floated really, really high in our poll, um, you know, because of some of the, uh, the games early in the season, like that North Central uh, loss and that sort of thing. Uh, Johns Hopkins and Hobart are both higher than I'm comfortable uh, with them being, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, the problem is though they, they they earn it, and there's nobody else who's who's consistently earning it. And, and you're right; they're the type of team that well, tends they to keep, get bounced in the second round
1: of the playoffs. But yes, they, that's what I'm saying. They, they, I, I was just I was taking uh, I was objecting to the word "earn" because I, you know, they earn. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, you, you earn that by beating ranked teams, right? You don't earn that just by beating teams.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. And and that evens out over the course of the year. Then you start looking back at the end of the year. If if Bethel is still nine and one, let's say, and they have wins over St. John's and St. Thomas and Gustavus, and they just have one loss to Wartburg, well, that nine and one looks better than a ten and zero when when you didn't play very many good teams. But um, my my team that'll take a fall. Uh, I mentioned already Stephen's point. You know, I, I don't know how convinced I was about them. They, they, The win against North Central was the eye-opener, clearly. But you look back at who they've beaten and, and how they've beaten them, you know, the River Falls win was just by three. Coe and Albion teams that were, you know, potential playoff teams at the beginning of the season. They're just 500 right now. They weren't super impressive. So this was the test for them, and uh, they didn't pass. Platteville obviously was the one who, who passed. And I think also Pacific Lutheran and Ithaca both picking up their second loss to, to less heralded opponents than in their first loss. They're both, they'll probably drop completely off ballots. Ithaca may not get any votes. I think um, Pacific Lutheran may be, you know, deep down and also receiving votes.
1: The um, this this week, there was a lot of discussion coming into the week about how uh, oh, Ithaca dropped all the way off uh, off of the top 25 from number 13. Um, you know, there was a discussion earlier in the year about how far St. John Fisher fell after they lost to Salisbury. I would just say, you know, don't complain because it could always get worse. Right. Especially if you're an Ithaca fan, um, if you're a Texas Lutheran fan who's done a lot of complaining this week, um, I would just be focused on who your team is playing on Saturday because that's a lot more um, interesting to a voter, first of all, than anything else, and certainly a lot more interesting than the fact that you scored 50 points in a lot of games, and by the way, also gave up 49. So that's my uh, two cents on that, or eight cents. And, and I will say,
0: as before we move on, the the Texas Lutheran game, against Mary Hardin Baylor you know nobody's expecting you to beat the number 2 team in the country right. but if you do great right then you're really open to minds, but even if you don't you got to play that game tough to get for voters to pay attention to, I think a lot of people have been holding back on that one, waiting to see. Well, what do they do against Mary harden Baylor, and and we'll see just how legit they are.
1: Well, and also, I mean, our poll is a kind of poll that will will they'll mo- we'll move you up, I think, as a as a voter group. If Texas Lutheran plays Mary harden Baylor well, uh, you know that other poll, the the one that Texas Lutheran is currently ranked in, if uh, Texas Lutheran loses that game by thirty next week, you know they'll probably move down and out of the AFCA poll and they might move up in the D three football.com top 25. Cause we really care uh, about strength of schedule. It's really important to know just who, you know, who you've played and not just the fact that you're six and O or seven and O or at the end of the season, 10 and Um. So yeah, there's that. It, we just talked uh, for several minutes about a team that didn't even play on Saturday. So uh, congratulations. It's uh like old times. <laughs> it is off the beaten path a little bit. That was, and uh, also Uh, Off the beaten path, it's been kind of a tough season for Minnesota Morris, and they lost again Saturday to fall to 0-7 overall. But, uh, you know, Coach Todd Hickman at least has one bright spot to consider, and that's his son, Cody. Uh, Cody Hickman racked up 14 more tackles in Saturday's game at Crown, and now he's eighth all-time in Division III with 459 stops. So uh, I guess congratulations there. Um, I talked to Todd Hickman, I think, pretty much every July or August for kickoff, because I'm always writing in a, the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference previews, and he's always been you know, real, uh, understated about, about Cody. I mean, he mentioned him. I think the first time he he mentioned him as a potential uh, player coming into his freshman year. And I said, is that your son? He was like, he didn't even mention it. It's just like, and Cody Hickman will play, you know, linebacker safety for us Mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, so, you know, um, obviously having a a guy back there, who's a, a coach's son, he's like the quarterback of the defense, whatever. And at the very least, uh, that's one bright spot for the Cougars this season.
0: Well, uh, my off-the-beaten-path highlight um, was Hanover looking for a bright spot this season. They they fell to 0-7, but they made it interesting. This was probably the best game in D3 on Saturday, and it wasn't even the game that was great. It was just like this seven-minute stretch of the fourth quarter. Uh, this is Hanover at Anderson, so this is Heartland, a Heartland Conference game, two not very good teams, Anderson's leading 31-7 in the fourth quarter. Just pretty pretty much coasting at this point. Hanover and this we see this happen from time to time and, and once that team that's behind gets rolling it's like it's like a boulder coming down the hill on the team in front, especially if it's a team that's not often used to leading. Hanover scores four touchdowns, right? Down 31-7, they score four touchdowns in less than uh, in less than 6 minutes between the 13-minute mark and around the 7-minute mark to take the lead. They score with 6:47 in the fourth. They kick off. They finally, they exhale, right? We're up. Oh, we're down 31-7. Oh, we finally exhale. We're up 35-31. They exhale too much because on the kickoff to Anderson, uh, they run it back for 87 yards uh, like the old – remember the Plano East, Plano West highlight that uh, they used to play on? ESPN? <laughs> I uh, it, do, actually. Same scenario, that, that there. And uh, I got to give you the, the kids' Oh, name. no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they just say, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. It's, it's it's the same scenario the the Hanover comeback was like um you know a sack fumble a uh, three and out they they score the 28 points so quickly and then uh and then they kick off and the uh the the kick is run back by Dion Alexander 87 yards and and uh yeah this 31-7 they rally 28 points and a snap of a finger and then they give it right back on the kickoff
1: Multiple positive highlights this season for Anderson in the sport of football, which is, uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been a little while for the Ravens on on that uh, on that front. You might almost even call that surprising. Um, I think the my most surprising result on Saturday is probably that Pacific Pacific Lutheran game which I know we mentioned briefly, but you know I would just uh, point out some of the history here. Of course, Pacific had uh, a, a span of a few decades or a couple decades plus in which they didn't sponsor football. But Pacific hasn't beaten Pacific Lutheran in my lifetime. The last time PLU lost to the Boxers was in 1972. Frosty Westering was in his first year as coach of the Lutes. Uh, Pacific won this one 31-28. And for me, it kind of reinforces a question that struck me earlier this week about the comparative results for Pacific Lutheran versus Linfield and Chapman versus Linfield. Um, You know, uh, Chapman played Linfield really tough. Pacific Lutheran, you know, didn't necessarily so much. And I was thinking middle of the week is, you know, I really should have Chapman. Uh, on my ballot uh, or higher on my ballot. Uh, I'm not uh, I don't think they were on my ballot last week. They will be this week. So, um, you know, congratulations to the boxers uh, doing something in year five, which, you know, we've talked about them being in the fifth year of their program after the four-year players graduated. Uh, another candidate that you might think is a surprising result, Barry beat Hendricks, I think, 46-24, and, and that's a good candidate until you find out that Seth Peters, who is Hendricks' number one quarterback, has been out each of the past two weeks, and the Warriors are 0-2 in those two weeks.
0: My most surprising result is Juniata crushing Ursinus, and then, and Ursinus is is another team, uh, a, a like all the ones we mentioned in the open that came into this week undefeated they were rested off a of bye remember the the centennial conference everybody just had a midseason bye and it wasn't just that they lost but it was a stunner it was 38-10 uh Juniata but, you know it's a team that's often been a, been the a doormat whether it was in the mac or in the centennial and uh so you know you think uh, a good 5 and 0 team is rested you know, every every reason to play well coming out of the bye and and they didn't, you know, so Ursinus with, with I mean, Juniata with the big upset on Ursinus and in uh, Frostburg State, I thought was a big shocker, too. Of course, we mentioned that
1: Juniata and Ursinus. Yeah. Two uh, two school names that I've heard mispronounced in many, many places across the country. I tell you what if,
0: if you don't know d3 and you know <laughs> you, we you could have just botched this entire podcast you could talk about <laughs> Gu- Gustavus Adolphus and and yeah Juanita and Ursinus we, we could have it's nice that we've been doing this for 15 years or however long it's been
1: Junida, Eurysnus Gustavus Adolphus yes uh, and we'll have Mullenberg. some <laughs> Mullenberg. that's who uh that's who Eurysmus or Junita is playing on Saturday I forget which uh, Theo feel yeah, Exactly. Uh Hamline. You know, almost the entire uh yeah, Carleton, yeah. something like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, you could mess up the whole Mayak for sure, <laughs> except for St. Thomas and St. John's.
1: Uh my stat of the week as we get ready for the start of the World Series. I think I would be remiss if I didn't make a baseball reference on this game in which Augustana scored seven in the first and got a strong performance out of the bullpen to defeat Illinois Wesleyan by the score of seven to two. Um, Haven't been a lot of baseball type scores in Division three this year, and we've certainly talked about how offenses are doing their thing. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan isn't starting its cornerback under center anymore, and uh, Donovan Label is now getting the call for them. And Augustana only threw for 39 yards on the afternoon, but they didn't need much. And that's a good thing because they didn't get much on offense, but they did win by the score of seven to two. My
0: stat of the week is a collection of stats from this week. And usually we look to the stats to make sense out of something, and I still I have all these stats I'm about to read off, and it doesn't help me make sense of this game at all. Amherst was outgained by 111 yards. They converted just three of 13 third downs. They had eight penalties. They were even in the turnover battle, just one turnover each for them and for Wesleyan. And Wesleyan had the ball for, for nine minutes longer. So you, there's no reason to look at the stat sheet. There's no statistical explanation for them to, to win the game, and yet somehow they pull it out thirty-three thirty in overtime.
1: I'm sure that uh, the Moneyball folks would figure out how that uh, how to make statistical sense out of that game. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, we could go to some deeper analytics.
1: <laughs> um, batting average on balls in play. See, I'm still uh, I'm still in baseball mode after that. Baseball has has all the uh, cool crazy stats. Um, Best prediction from Triple Take? Um, Yeah, there's not going to be much good you can say about me. I will say that uh, Ryan uh, Tips really hit uh, Concordia, Wisconsin, and Trine being a a game that was going to put up big numbers after uh, they put up big numbers last week. Uh, Trine, 46 points in back-to-back weeks. They won 46-42 last week, lost 49-46 to Concordia, Wisconsin. Uh, The Thunder are four points from being unbeaten, and I'm kind of tired of MIAA- northern athletics collegiate conference games uh, i know they play each other twice this year i don't need to see any more of them
0: interesting well i you know trying to is one of those teams you mentioned the four points uh lost by one point back in week one i believe to manchester and then uh three points to uh to Austin Dimashke. Am I saying his name, his name is Dimashki? Dimash.
1: I, I believe so. Dimashki. Yeah.
0: Now that's part of the drinking game. That was the reason
1: I tried to say his name. <laughs> if I if I botched your quarterback's name that week, you got a drink. Keith Debotchke. No. Um, you got uh so you got W and J out of triple take. You got Del and your game of the week was the least bad? Yeah yeah there was the
0: um the uh the St. John's Gustavus game I think it was the only there just wasn't a clear game of the week this week, and it was the only one in the game of the week section that uh, actually looked somewhat like a game of the week. And I have to give you some, some props, some mention for, uh, for pointing out that way down at the bottom in the very last category uh, on the radar, you mentioned that Tufts, uh, which you know, previously would have been unimaginable, Tufts, Tufts could beat Williams. They went ahead and did that on Saturday.
1: Well, it's a good thing I got that because I think that's the only thing I got right in Triple Take this week. Uh, You know, and uh, none of the surprisingly close games were even a little bit close. Mountain Union just crushed Heidelberg, although you know that's close for a Mountain Union game. Uh, Wittenberg destroys Worcester and Chapman against Occidental. You know, I think I just kind of hope that that game kicking off at ten Eastern nobody would notice if uh, if that game wasn't surprisingly close and it was uh unsurprisingly not close 59 21 Chapman uh putting that one to bed over Occidental
0: yeah yeah those those were the worst predictions of the week I think we've also done not so hot lately on picking top 25 teams to lose but again you know no top 25 teams are are helping us out here so what are you gonna do
1: I got one last week
0: not very many top 25 teams are helping (laughs) us out
1: (laughs) I just it's one that's all I got All right, uh, we're on to the flash drive, which, as you may recall, was what we renamed Lightning Round, almost on a whim last week. Uh, Methodist, this was a game I was thinking of going to uh, down in Atlanta. I thought we'd see a a fantastic shootout that would go back and forth, and I'm kind of glad I didn't make the trip because at one point, Methodist was up 73-7 and it ended up being 73-28. As uh, LaGrange, the uh, air raid hasn't looked uh, quite so good the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, that game was that game was 52-0 at halftime. So it was a shootout, just all going in one direction. Brockport State forced five turnovers, uh, scored two defensive touchdowns and beat Alfred
1: 45-42. So the Empire 8, you know, the the cra- the longer we play, the crazier it gets. Um, I think to be kind of oh, I forgot to reset that. I'm gonna be kind of disappointed to see that uh that conference break up and and uh, switch things around because it's been uh, really fun. Uh, Howard Payne beat each Texas Baptist 54-53 in another little 12 shootout. This was 1,300 total yards combined. Howard Payne ran 102 plays. Each team had 35 first downs, and it was decided uh, when Richard Young, who threw for 492 yards on the day, ran it in with nine seconds left for the uh, go-ahead touchdown and a uh, single extra point to win it.
0: Fitchburg State up in New England gave the ball to Khalifa Best three times inside the two-yard line in overtime. Western Connecticut stopped all three and then scored in its half of the overtime to win 2014.
1: Keith, we have some post game audio from the Franklin uh, Mount St. Joseph game. And in our uh, prep for this, you did a, uh, a really good job explaining what that uh, game was all about.
0: Yeah, well, it wasn't, it was basically wasn't a close game um, for, for most of it. Franklin jumped out, I think uh 20, 28, zero at the half. And, um, all of a sudden, you know, Mount St. Joseph roars back into it. Hit a couple of big pass plays late in the fourth quarter. There, a 52-yard touchdown pass and a 64-yard touchdown pass to make it a 31-28. And then Franklin had to put together one last drive to uh, for the final margin.
1: And uh, our uh, columnist Adam Turer was on the scene, and here's what he uh, got from Mike Leonard after that game. Very proud of our guys. Very proud of our coaches that had an awesome game plan today, and the guys executed pretty darn well. Uh, we know that we are...
0: Uh, we
1: know we got the target on the back, you know. Um, we know that other teams are hungry for this championship, and, and that was the big focus. We had to, hate. this is a new team. We haven't won squat. We're hungry. We want to eat. Oh, frankly. And still has the target on its back uh, at least for another week if nothing else as things continue in the uh, hcac uh in the centennial susquehanna with a 40 yard field goal with 19 seconds left to beat moravian 24 21 you remember when we talked in the podcast some time ago quite some time ago now what a great start to the season moravian had i actually don't remember that and it's probably good because it's gone away right yeah uh, let's see, Tufts. Uh, we mentioned this briefly already, but let's see. They have three wins in the season for the first time since 2008. So they beat Williams for their first win over the Eves since 08 as well. Jumbos, 08 uh, was kind of a high water mark for them, or maybe the beginning of the low water mark. They won four games that year, and then over the next five years combined, won just three games, and now they've won three games again this season.
0: Gallaudet. Uh, far cry from the playoff team they were last season. Nine and two last year. Had a you know borderline NFL prospect on the roster. Uh, they gained just 155 yards, and they only ran 49 plays. We're talking about Wilkes and, and Howard Payne running more than 100 plays in a game, and uh, and the Bison ran 49 in a 12-6 loss at Husson.
1: That's a that's a bus ride and a half. Too wow. Um, that is not uh, that's Maine Husson's in Maine that's another uh, school you could potentially mispronounce actually you can mispronounce both of those because a lot of people say Gallaudet but that's not correct
0: Eric Gargiulo with his eighth interception in three weeks, and uh, Montclair State beat TCNJ twenty-eight-seven. They're they're gonna challenge now. Rowan had the huge game, of course, against uh, Morrisville State. We probably should should mention that here. In in the flash drive, great defense, great defensive performance by Rowan. They beat uh, Morrisville 31-0. So now Morris Rowan and Montclair on a crash course looks like in the uh, NJAC.
1: Hello, nineteen ninety-nine. Your uh, NJAC race is here. So is there a, a a play of the week candidate out there that's worth uh, worthy of 66,000 views or one that's worthy of 450,000 views? If it's there, send it in. Let's get it out to the planet. There was a great week for uh, football plays on the Division Three level last week, and uh, we got a couple of them. They had a really wide distribution. That, uh, that Morrisville Hurdle is the one that got the 450,000, and the 66,000 is the... What did we call that? How uh, double reverse flea flicker spin catch by I thought Huntington? The word pirouette was in there somewhere. Pirouette would have been better, but you know, pirouette's much longer than the window had room for. Spin was good.
0: Gotcha. Um, that's good that the the Morrisville State was the play was the more athletic of the of the two plays. Although it's got to be pretty tough to spin around in the end zone and coming backwards and catch a ball. But um, I, I, that's I'm impressed that that one got the four a
1: fifty. Yeah, uh, but again, you know, two two really good plays from last week. So plays of the week are due five p.m. on Monday, five p.m. Eastern time, and uh, we've had a lot of great nominations in recent weeks. So we appreciate that, coaches and SIDs. Uh, so you know, please do send them in once again. Looking at next week, week eight, oh, eight weeks. Okay, Mary Harden-Baylor, at Texas Lutheran. I I don't know if we've talked about this game at all, but that's a game that we might learn something about Texas Lutheran in that game. And I should say, too, I mean, we didn't talk about the uh, Mary Harden-Baylor Louisiana College game this week. Uh, UMHB jumped out early, uh, got out to a big lead, turned over the ball a lot those final three quarters, and it was a close game. So that could be interesting for next week. Yeah, and you and I, Pat, because
0: we're trying to get a feel for 244 teams, we sometimes almost deliberately ignore – Mary Harden Baylor's and the Mountain Unions and the Wesleys and the Whitewaters of the world for weeks. Not necessarily, um don't know anything about them, but you just don't spend a lot of time watching them beat some team seventy to two like Wesley did against Menlo on Saturday. I was going to say game that's like not
1: this, a that's not a random uh, number there. No, no, a game like this on Saturday,
0: uh, all of our and we have a bunch of. People who are UMHB fans who listen to the podcast and who tweet at us and they're some of our favorite fans out there, we will be paying attention to you this week.
1: (laughs) Yes, I think that's fair to say. Uh, Luther Wartburg, I mean, you know, Luther's kind of cooled off a little bit and Wartburg is number six. But despite that, uh, it's still probably the most heated this rivalry has been in football in quite a while. And these schools are rivals in uh, kind of across the board.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I got a chance to watch Warburg on uh, on Saturday. That I think that game's archived. Anybody can go watch it. They they beat Dubuque pretty handily. Um, they their offense actually. You know, we talk about their defense so much, but they're pretty sharp on offense. They they you know no huddle. They're moving the ball quickly, and they
1: got a lot of talent in the backfield
0: and on the flanks.
1: We got a couple of top 25 matchups and a couple of really short bus trips as St. Thomas goes to Bethel and uh, Wheaton hosts North Central. Uh, of course, that latter game for the uh, little brass bell, and uh, we talked about Wheaton. That was mostly me talking about Wheaton last week. I'm not sure what they've proven, and uh, that we will find out next Saturday. They are 6-0. I, I get that. I get that. Uh, Willamette at PLU. Hampton-Sydney at Shenandoah. It could either be – I could see – many ways this could go. It could be a, a revenge for last year, losing and a beat down at Shenandoah, or it could be Shenandoah pulling a rabbit out of its hat like it did a couple of weeks ago.
0: Well, uh, And the the Hornets won, have won two in a row now, so not not saying they'd be favored to beat Hampton-Sydney, yeah. but uh, but they're no longer necessarily the Odak pushover.
1: Salisbury at Ithaca, and we know what that means. You I mean it's like the only time uh, Salisbury
0: plays on grass? It but might be I, the
1: only time all year, yeah.
0: What's the what's the reference because if they play on turf and they run the option they are much faster.
1: Yeah, and uh, and Salisbury struggled at Ithaca, and when Springfield was in the Empire Eight, they struggled at Ithaca also, and they run the same yeah, offense. Yeah, I,
0: I, well, I remember you always saying this about Springfield, and I know they run the same offense, but I was was I missing the connection there? Uh,
1: I'm I'm I might be drawing a connection, uh, but you know uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Morrisville State at Southern Virginia. Um, you know, really upstate slash almost western New York against practically southwestern Virginia in the New Jersey Athletic Conference. Yeah,
0: two teams are nowhere near New Jersey.
1: Or each other. 488, 488 mile drive. Yeah. The, uh, the, I, I tried to plot out a flight for that, um, and Google said the fastest you could get there flying or the optimal um the optimal itinerary would be about a nine hour uh transit and that's pretty much what it would be busing anyway so yeah have fun heading down to southern virginia mustangs and mustang fans um in the nescaq middlebury at trinity talked about that uh those teams is being among the uh top teams in the NESCAC this year and tufts at amherst yeah we have to keep an eye on that game now
0: yeah can imagine that tufts with three and two at this point amherst Five and0 and uh, Battle of Massachusetts, I guess.
1: And we talked about uh, Juanita, Junita, Juniata at Muhlenberg, Muhlenberg, uh, Carol at Ripon. Uh, Carol just obliterated Lawrence. Lawrence is not very good this year, but uh, Carol remains unbeaten. Uh, Concordia Ann Arbor, uh, which is an NAI school, which I think is maybe its third year of football, is at Maranatha Baptist. Uh, that's a game we've got to mark as very tentative for next week.
0: Yeah, because Maranatha Baptist, I believe they said this week they have twenty-two healthy players. So I guess technically you could get by with that many, but uh, but 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 uh, they've they've canceled two or three games so far this season.
1: Well, just two so far, but we'll see. Um, at the beginning of the season, I know this was on your list as a potential battle of unbeaten, and that's what we got in an NFC game between Western New England and MIT, a combined eleven and zero.
0: Yeah, and I actually wrote this one down as WNEC. I forgot they're Western New England University now, WNEU.
1: Yeah, you know, people get uh, picky about that stuff, which is why on the site we just kind of generally leave it out so we don't have to worry about it. There you go. Uh, that'll be interesting. I mean, MIT, uh, I saw a reference on Twitter, MIT 5-0, and 0, for the first time in their modern history. And, of course, that prompted me to inquire into their ancient history in which uh, they had multiple winning seasons between, I think, that was cited as between 1895 and 1901. So there's that. Uh, East Texas Baptist at Louisiana College and then uh, Chapman at Cal Lutheran to finish you off under the lights next week. Um East Texas Baptist and Louisiana College. I'm I'm guessing there'll probably be some points scored in that game.
0: Yeah, I got. You know, I was surprised. I looked at the the records. Uh, Louisiana College is two and four at this point. Yeah, but one of their losses is to Alcorn State, just scholarship uh, program. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor, just this past week. Texas Lutheran six and zero. Oh. So you know, East Texas Baptist and, and Wesley. Lost. Yeah, and Wesley's their fourth loss. So yeah, you're, you know, they they. I'm not gonna say they might be the best two and four team in D three, but
1: oh, good cliche, well done.
0: They, they, you got a drink for that, right? <laughs> nice. uh, you, uh, nobody see now. People can't listen to the podcast in the car. <laughs> they pull it over, and taking a drink all the oh, time. Co- coffee, forget coffee. Oh, there you go. that's true. We didn't, we didn't say how to be alcohol, but no, seriously, uh, Louisiana College. Those four losses tells you almost nothing about. How good that you know this could be like the fiftieth best team in the country for all we know. Um, East Texas Baptist will give them a chance to 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 prove it, and, and ETBU uh, is coming off a couple of hard luck losses when the, the six point shootout lost Texas Lutheran and that one point shootout loss to Howard Payne on Saturday.
1: Keith, I'm I'm just kind of scrolling through the rest of the standings, and I think the one team that might have any shot at um you know at uh, challenging Louisiana College for the uh, mantle of best two and four team might be Cortland might be Augsburg might be Wisconsin lacrosse those are, that's the uh, that's the company that they're uh, trying to stay ahead of uh, coming up the rest of the week I mentioned play of the week so get those in uh, team of the week nominations from SIDs by 8 p.m. Eastern time on Monday uh, Ryan Tips's snap judgments already on the website so you can read his take on the weekend uh, to uh, companion hours and then around the region and around the nation columns as the week goes on and you know, I'd say this too and are on the way out the door. The NCA issued something that resembles a championship handbook this week, and it just has so many mistakes in it that we can't even really – Begin to fathom uh, some of the things that are in there. So hopefully it will get corrected. I don't even think they have the right automatic bids in there, and I hope that they uh, fix that along with you know just knowing who is in which conference. The NCA needs to know these things um, because you know they just look stupid putting out a publication like this. It's it's just not uh, it's not what we deserve here at Division three. Uh, that's my take uh, at the end of the Around the Nation podcast for Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. We'll see you next week.